a sip instead of yours. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. going to dig into this. It's a good one. Not a lot of verses, but there's a lot in this one. We're going just over 20 verses here today. We're on the 28th lesson of the gospel according to John. This is lesson 28, chapter 12, verses 27 to 50. Not a ton of verses, but there's so much information and so much chocked full into this that we're, we're really going to just hit it and go go and dig and, and do this thing because if not, we'll be here. <laughs> So this is as the father has told me. Let's do this. All right, going through the English Standard Version again. John chapter 12, verses 27 to 50. Now is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. All right, so this breaks down into three basic sections. First, we see 27 to the first half of 36. Now, it it depends on the translation that you're reading this in. Some translations show a, a shifting at 37. Some show it in the middle of 36. And I would tend to agree with with the ones that actually show this 
shifting in the middle of 36. So 27 to 36A must be lifted up. 36B to 43, we see the unbelief. And then in 44 to 50, came to save. All right, let's get in. 27. Now is my soul troubled. Well, troubled here is the Greek terasso, which means to it's unsettled, unsettled and stirred up. Like it's he's bothered, right? There's a stirring and an unsettling in his soul. All right, this is very reminiscent to the word, in fact, this word itself or the compound, a compound of version of this word is actually used in the Davidic Psalms in a couple different spots, one of which would be Psalm 6, 3 to 4. My soul also is greatly troubled. Same word, same same styling as well here, right? My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. It's very reminiscent, very similar. And it makes a lot of sense for Jesus to be saying this in a time where he starts referring to himself as the son of man and these things start to struggle because people link that with the Davidic line, the line of David, right? And so that linking matters. And so it makes sense that Jesus starts speaking in a similar way. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour, right? Jesus is is letting people know that he's struggling with this concept. He's struggling. Now, it's it's interesting because as we're about to see, since we just did the reading of this, it's one of two things. Either Jesus is a prophet and, and that's it, or if Jesus is the son of man, if Jesus is the Messiah, their belief is a misguided belief on what they think the Messiah will be. And they think the Messiah, the Christ, would actually stay and remain forever. And so it's really weird. This is a very confusing portion for people because Jesus is directly there. So the Messiah, the Christ is there and telling them, you, you, yet again, you've missed the point. You have missed the understanding of what's going to happen and what's being said here. So the pain, right? Jesus is talking about the pain and the trouble that he was feeling and that it's not limited to, as we see in other other gospel accounts we see in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. Now, Luke has a similar account, but uh, Luke Luke actually says that he goes up to uh, the Mount of Olives in Luke. But in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, we see just a couple days prior to the actual crucifixion itself in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus talks about that pain Oh, that anguish and that pain. And this is saying that even before just a couple days, this entire week, this entire week period, Jesus is going through that pain and that torment of knowing what is coming and what what has to happen. Even Jesus, God walking in the flesh, is struggling with this, what has to happen. So keep that in mind as you struggle and go through things, right? Even Jesus struggled with that. He didn't like it, knew it had to happen, knew it was going to happen, but didn't didn't necessarily enjoy the concept. 28 to 30. Father, glorify your name. That is just plain and simply a great reminder to us. It should be in our mind and in our hearts that it's not necessarily about what we're getting out of things, because that really shouldn't matter as much. It should be about the glory of God, right? We should be looking, especially in difficult and challenging situations, our goal should be for God to receive the glory. And I know that seems counterintuitive on an earthly standpoint, right? It's kind of counterintuitive, but our goal should be for God to receive the glory because all of this, God owns everything, right? If we're looking for glory, all glory is his. God owns all. God owns all. That means physical and even non-physical. Everything. The glory is already his. So if we're going to get anything out of it, we, we should want to get it the proper way and from the proper person, which is God. And so we would want God to get the glory and then he can bless us with whatever he feels is worth giving, right? Which, by the way, is, is always going to be better than we think we deserved anyway. God gives better than we think we deserve. So you're going to get better from God 
but that shouldn't be the focus is what is God going to give me out of that? That's going with an impure heart. But we should want God to receive his glory. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Now, this is one of the three times during Jesus's earthly ministry that a heavenly voice comes from above. We first see at the baptism, we see that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And we also see at the transfiguration in Matthew as well, 17, 5. So let's look at 317 at the baptism. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we see again in 17, 5 in Matthew, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So we have the voice before and after this. This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. In the middle, we get a voice saying, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I have glorified it by just plainly creating, right? God created everything. He gave himself glory by doing that, right? That is a glorification. He didn't have to. But he did anyway. He created. He did it by creating. He did it by saving his chosen people, which were coming into that time frame here in the story, going into the time of Passover, where there's the celebration of the saving of the Jewish people from the land of Egypt, Passover period. So he glorified by creating. He glorified by saving his people. And he's glorifying here by saving and taking that salvation and moving it to the rest of humanity. Okay, And then even again afterwards, by ridding everything of Satan and his minions, we see at the last in Revelation, right? He will continue to do this. He continues and he will glorify it again. He has and he has and he's going to and he's going to, right? This is a pattern. Then the crowd, 29, the crowd that stood there. So there's a crowd of people. We know there's people around, Right? We already knew that. If we looked back at last week, there was already people around. And now it says the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. So some didn't want to believe that this was an actual voice. Okay. They didn't believe that this was a voice. It thundered. While others said an angel has spoken to them. I love this part here. Jesus, verse 30, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. You see, Jesus doesn't need verification. He doesn't need verification of who, who am I? What am I doing? Where do I have to? Like, he doesn't need the verification. He knows. He knows. Being 100% God and 100% man, and I know that math doesn't add up, but it is the best way to describe Jesus, is he was still fully man and he was fully God, right? So it's, it is a, it's a hard thing to grasp, but he didn't need verification. He didn't need validation for himself as to who he was. But those around, there were still those questioning who needed that. Right. So that voice was for them. Because we see right here, there was the, some people thought it was thunder. It's two different perspectives. You had thunder, you had an angel speaking. Oftentimes, when spiritual things happen, people who don't want to believe, right, have it in the mindset that one, this Jesus character, he, he can't be the Christ. He can't be the Messiah. Or in today's era, we would maybe, instead of just saying about Jesus, we would just broaden that out and say, atheists and agnostics, they, ah, there, there can't be a God because that goes against everything that I've set my reality up on. If there really was a God, then everything that I believe is hogwash. There's, there's just no point to it. It doesn't add up. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work right anymore. Nothing works within the reality that I have created in my mind. And so when that somebody is in that kind of a, a place, so in this story here, people saying, this guy is a false teacher. He's a false prophet. He's not the Messiah. He can't be. They're going to try to explain things away. 
this big booming voice. Yeah, it sounded like a voice. That sounded like words. And by the way, words we understand and words we know. Look at, at other people clearly recognized what was being said. People clearly recognized what was said. John records the actual words that were said. So it was audible and understandable. It was audible and understandable. And people still tried to just pass that off as, no, it can't be. It doesn't fit with what I've decided already that it is. So therefore, it had to have just been thunder. And I just made up the words that I thought I heard. When these supernatural events happen and people can't believe, they refuse to believe, they won't believe because it goes against what they already, quote, know, right, or what they already believe or perceive, they're going to perceive them as something natural because it has to be a natural event, right? It has to be a natural event. It has to be explainable. It has to be explainable within the confines of the reality that I believe in now, Hey, Sip and Studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan. Can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity, and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know, can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer, and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that he has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. And you can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, back to the study. But then Jesus declares something different in in verse 30, right? Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Jesus declares, no, 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 this is not thunder. That was not thunder. In fact, God wanted it so evident that it wasn't even the still small voice. It's not thunder. And it came for you. It didn't come for me. It came so that you might believe came for you so that you might believe. Like Jesus praying to God when he's raising Lazarus. Praying out, God, listen to me. I'm saying this not because I, for your sake and my sake, because I know you always hear. But I'm doing it for those around, right? It was for those who were around so that they could recognize, one, that it wasn't a magic trick. It wasn't a trick. It's not a, a scheme. That it was truly happening. 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now would the ruler of this world be cast out. There's actually a lot in this one verse, as you can see on the screen if you're, if you're on the video format. Now is at hand. Not saying like now right this actual physical second, but it's at hand. The time is at hand. It is happening. Okay, not right this second, but it is, it is here. It's at hand. The time for the end of Jesus's earthly ministry is at hand, and it's time for him to enter the next phase, moving beyond teaching, moving beyond the healing for himself, right? The Holy Spirit downtows that through people and showing who he is. It's time to move beyond just showing who he is. It's time to do the major action at the cross. Okay, it is time for the major act of salvation at the cross. Now, the, the world, the world that we see here, now is the judgment of this world. Both worlds in this, by the way, we have the judgment of this world and the ruler of this world. Both of those, just like in John 3.16, are the word, the Greek word, cosmos, which is all of creation. It's everything, right? Now, it's not ruler of the angels. It's not ruler of, it's not meant in that intent. And there's, there are debates of whether or not this is just limited to earth, if it's limited to mankind, if it's limited to a certain people in mankind. 
I would tend to think with a word used that is as broadly used and as broad of a term as cosmos, which by definition is all of creation, this is meaning all of the world, right? Not necessarily every single person because Satan doesn't rule every single person because you have Christians. You have those who follow God and we're longing for the Messiah, longing for Jesus, and we're now following Jesus. Satan didn't have hold on these people. And Satan didn't have hold on all of these people. So it's not necessarily meaning absolutely every single person. What it is meaning, it is a broad stroke, meaning some of all, right? He just broadly rules everyone. It's like saying, well, how can I put this in a, in a way that we would understand? You see, you see uh, the bumper stickers, not my president. And it happens no matter who's president, right? Oh, that's not my president. Don't blame me. I didn't vote for insert name here. It doesn't matter, right? Whichever, whichever elephant or donkey you want, it doesn't matter. Not mine. Well, they're still, they still rule the land, right? They're still in charge. And that's kind of the concept here. This judgment of this world, meaning cosmos, the broad, the whole world, right? Well, that still stands, but Christians don't get judged during that. And that's where things get complicated and why we always, not, not we always, but a lot of times people struggle with that. Well, there's, but the, the, there's extra judgments. Like I don't understand how that works, right? Well, Christians aren't judged in the sense that the rest of the world is judged because if you, you either follow God and therefore Jesus or you're following a different ruler. Even if you're claiming I don't follow anyone, you're, you're still following a ruler. You still follow under fall under the category of his dominion, right? If you're part of the kingdom of God or you are part of the kingdom of the world, whether you say you accept that ruler or not, you fall into, under one of two kingdom rules, okay? I know this is maybe a lot and I, I might be just rambling on, and I apologize if I am, but this cosmos is the same, same word for world as cosmos, like in 316, okay? He's linking these two together. John, and there, Jesus being written by John here, right, is linking these together. God so loved the world. Now is the judgment of the world. Judging the world, loving the world. Now, we also see the ruler of this world will be cast out. This is Satan. Take a look at 1 John 5.19. And I'm doing this one. There's a lot of, there's several places where you can pull this from. But I wanted to pull from 1 John because this is gospel according to John and 1 John. I wanted to show you the mindset here, okay? 1 John 5.19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The evil one is Satan. And we continue on in this. Now, will the ruler of this world, cosmos, the ruler of this form of creation, this side of creation, the ruler is Satan, be cast out. This is meaning defeated, okay? This is meaning defeated because he hasn't been cast into the lake of fire yet. We see that in Revelation 20.10. If we look there right now, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, right? It's made for Satan and his followers. This current tense of what Jesus is talking about is the meaning, he's meaning defeated. Satan, the ruler of the world, Satan is defeated. His grasp on the world is defeated. That chain, that link, that bondage is broken. If you are with Jesus, Satan has no hold on you anymore. And he has no hold on you. You are with Jesus and thus go where Jesus goes. If you look back to last week, that statement in chapter 12, verse 26 makes a whole lot more sense now. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Okay, now he's talking about the ruler of this world is being cast out. If you are with Jesus, you will be where Jesus will be. 
You're going to go where he goes. You're no longer with Satan. Therefore, no longer go where Satan goes. 32 to 33. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now, there's a few things, again, in this one little spot. And there's a couple things I just want to hit really quickly. Okay, drew quickly, so not super fast, but quickly enough. First of all, lift it up. And I, meaning Jesus, when I am lifted up from this earth, lifted up. Take a look at Isaiah. Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Okay, similar concept, right? Lifted up. When I am lifted up. Now there's both a metaphorical, high and lifted up, like he's exalted. He is high and above, right? Well, this is kind of that dualism, okay? John loves to to point out things that have a, a double meaning, and this is kind of one of them, right? High and lifted up. When I am lifted up, but then he clarifies, from the earth. But looking back, you can also see this as that recognition, hindsight 2020 kind of thing, that this is a high and lifted up, kind of exalted from Isaiah. But Jesus was specifically speaking more of lifted up for his death. When I am lifted up from the earth, this is talking about being lifted onto the cross, I will draw all people to myself. Now, it's really easy to read this and, and where you, a lot of a lot of Bibles in their commentary notes down at the bottom. If you have a, a commentary Bible, you have a Bible like this, you'll see you have scripture on the top and then there's notes down here at the bottom. These notes, these notes are not scripture. They're commentary. They're there as man-written notes about what this is believed to mean and intent. And it shows different linkings to different verses and, and things to where this can pull from. And a lot of them will actually go to Romans. And it's another all statement in Romans. Now, I didn't link that here on purpose because I, I want to make sure that we don't Look at this in a specific way, because it's just very easy to read this and get a certain concept, especially if you take it out of slightly out of context, which is why we do this line by line. So we're not taking things out of context. But if you link it to another verse, if you read this and go, ooh, maybe, and then you link it to another verse that is then out of context, you can get that verse to mean whatever you want. We've got to be really careful. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Be careful to realize this is not a universalist statement. This is not Jesus saying everyone is saved. Literally everyone. No, that's not what's being said here. It is saying some of all peoples. This is kind of like that casting of the term cosmos again, but not 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 necessarily so much, okay? is saying that some of all, some of all, I am going to draw all peoples, meaning some of them all, not necessarily every single last person, because we see enough, enough instances throughout scripture to point us to that not only is it not universalist, but there's even a divide and whether or not it is, do you have a choice in this or is it only if God calls you himself? You have that Arminian versus Calvinist concept. God calls you and there's nothing you can do. You couldn't say no if you wanted to, and that's Calvinist. Or you have that Arminian, God calls you, he says, I want you, and you have a choice, yay or nay, yes or no. The Arminian belief tends to be that God calls everyone. This blanket statement of all, this world, this, this cosmos, this all, is that salvation is for all but it's all who accept, all who desire it, all who want it. God puts that invitation out to all, but we have to accept that invitation. Whereas the Calvinist mindset is God only invites those he, he wants. So there's, there's I, I say this not to make things more confusing, but trying to clarify that this is not universalist. 
just simply saying that this is not a universalist statement saying that don't worry, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter anything like that. Jesus' blood covers everybody regardless because that is not what's being said here. There's so much evidence that that is not what's being said that inside Christianity, there is a divide as to how particular God is in allowing people in, right? Now, I personally am Arminian. I fully believe God invites everyone. He wants everyone, but we have to choose because God made us for himself for love. I don't believe God forces those to love him back. Okay, he wants that. He wants that authentic relationship. He wants us to desire him like he desires us. Continuing on, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now, what kind of death? Well, first of all, we see that he's lifted up. He talks about being lifted up and then drawing all people to him. So it's, a again, kind of a duality statement. Lifted up, die on the cross. But then also, it is a saving death. He is doing this as a sacrifice. He is doing this as the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. Had somebody the other, well, a couple weeks ago, commenting on, on one of the YouTube videos. I think they took it down because it's not there anymore. It still shows that it's there, but it's not there. How God, yes, God God so loved people that he he killed somebody and demanded the death. It's like, God came. God came in the form of a man to sacrifice himself, to die on behalf for us. Not saying, hey, you, you're going to go just die. Because I pick randomly, eeny, meeny, miny. No, it's not an eeny, meeny, miny, mo. It's not anything like that. God came because man couldn't do it himself. He couldn't reach the level of perfection necessary. So he came because he loved us. He came to do it himself. Those are the two things. This duality. This death this is a raising up on the cross and a salvation. Okay, it was both a physical lifting as well as a spiritual lifting. Finish up this first section. I told you this is a little bit in this first section here. 34 to 36, 36a. We're going to finish this section up. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law, capital L, that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? That's valid, right? These are valid thoughts and valid questions. Kind of. Kind of valid thoughts, kind of valid questions. Clearly, the people grasp the concept that Jesus was talking about death, talking about himself dying. They show a misunderstanding of who or what the Messiah is and what the Messiah was going to do. Now, it was a, a common belief, and we've talked about this before, so let's take just a quick second. It was a common belief that the, they were expecting a military leader who would come in and kick out whoever was ruling. At this point, it was Rome. And, and would sit on a throne and would rule forevermore and maintain the high power of God's chosen people, the Jews, overall. And that they would rule, and this is a natural thing for, for mankind, but we, we definitely see it historically here, that lust for power. No, we're God's chosen people. Again, that's why we kind of point to, to Paul in Romans that none may boast. It's a gift that none may boast. And that's exactly what the Jews were hoping for. They were hoping, they were hoping for Emma Messiah to come in as a military leader to kick out Rome to rule forevermore so that they may boast, we are God's chosen people. Just us. We. It's us. It's the Jews. You can't be a Jew. Sorry. Nope. You're not one of God's chosen people. We are. Sucks to be you. Is a terrible misunderstanding of what this is. Salvation comes from the Jews, meaning through the Jews to the rest of the world, to the cosmos, to the rest of humanity, to the rest of creation, to the Gentiles, to everyone. They misunderstood that. So we see that here. They're bringing it up. How? What? He's supposed to live forever. Who? How? Who is the son of man? So Jesus in 35 said to them, the light is among you. And I love how vague. He doesn't really answer their question. It's just like, you you know this. This should be obvious at this point. And if it's not, yeah, wait, wait about a week. Give, give it a few days. It'll be obvious here in just a few minutes. 
Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. I love the vagueness in this response. Sometimes, every now and then, I, I, I say something like that. I'm like, wow, the Spirit must be working through me because I can't say cool things like that most of the time. <laughs> I'm a little bit too direct and, and uh, just, here it is. Bam, here, you want an answer? Here's your answer, right? And, and so to hear these vague statements, to me, it, it shows a, a level of intellect which, by the way, Jesus, God, so, I mean, yeah, there's a level of intellect that is beyond the vast majority, right? Beyond all. <laughs> so, but he doesn't rub it in, right? It's just, you're, you're not grasping what I'm saying here. So instead of me just like getting upset and frustrated and like trying to drive that in there, I'm just going to let you know what you need to know because what you need to know isn't necessarily what you think you want to know. And that's what his response is. He's giving us, like a good father, Jesus coming, God coming in the form of man, right? Gives us what we need, not necessarily what we think we want. Jesus is the light. And his response, who is this? Why? No, the Messiah is supposed to like live forever and, and rule. And, and we're supposed to be better than everyone else. And it shows the rest of the world. See, we're, we waited as God's chosen people. We waited for this long time for this Messiah to come. And finally he came. Now we get to rule with him and be big and, and better than everybody else. And Jesus says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. You're missing the point. You've missed it. You didn't understand and you don't understand who I am and what I'm here for, what I'm doing. I'm going to leave. Don't fall into the snare. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that I'm not who I say I am. Don't buy into Satan's lies and schemes and that lust for power to be able to rule over and to be better than everyone else. Don't go for that. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going because, let's be honest, darkness, see, light is always a recognition of pure, of godly, right? When you see in the Bible, light and dark, light is a representation of pure, of godly, of holy, of doing what God wants and doing God's way. Dark is a representation of sin and going against God. Well, sin is really tempting. It's really beautiful most of the time, right? Even if it's something that's ugly and horrific, like murder, murder. Most people, sane, rational, somewhat rational people, if they were going to go down that road, there's that there's an endorphin rush. There's something that has pushed them to the point to where in their mind, they think they will be better off. The world will be better off something, right? They, in their mind, is a rational reason, whether it is rational or not. And by the way, if you're killing people, it's probably not rational. But in their mind, they've rationalized it in a way where it's for good. It's either going to feel good or it's going to do good, even though it's not. Sin is tempting and looks appealing because we think it's going to get us to where we want to go. It's going to do and feel how we want to feel. That's not the case. It's very misleading. They don't know where they're going because they're in the darkness. Sons of light, be sons of light. Jesus wants for their behalf and for their benefit that they believe and follow him for their salvation. Unbelief. We're getting into 36b to 40. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, 
lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Even with all the signs, even with all of the testimony, yeah, he raised Lazarus. Remember there was that crowd of people that were going and trying to find out and verify this? Okay, there's, he's done a lot. He's healed the lame. He's healed the blind. He's done all of these signs, turn water into wine for people who that's like their, their, that's their one thing that they like to hold on to, whatever. You know, he's done all these signs, all of these wonders, and people still aren't believing. And it's happening. And Isaiah knew it was going to happen. This becomes that whole, did God do this because it was prophesied or does it prophesied because they knew it was, God knew it was going to happen, right? Doesn't matter. Talk for another day. We, we can dig into that another time if you guys really want. Maybe we'll do a separate video on that kind of concept. But the point is, where, where John's pulling from with this, the first portion is Isaiah 53, 1. And then the second portion is, I, is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. That's where he's pulling from on, on these two pieces here. Now, 41 to 43, we're going to finish this section up really fast because this section can be really fast. Isaiah said these things because... He saw his glory and spoke of him, he being Jesus. He saw his glory, Jesus. He, Isaiah, saw his, Jesus, glory and spoke of him, Jesus. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, notice that, many, even of the authorities, many, even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, even though that was a smaller group, it was a small sect, right? Not tiny, but it was a small sect comparatively, right? They had so much control and so much power because people would want their leaders, right? If you are going to be the religious leaders of the Jewish people, you should be able to walk the walk. Well, the Pharisees were at least in a visual sense, walking the walk. And they had added a bunch of extra rules. And so they were showing, hey, look, we're even above the rest of you guys because we're able to do things that you're not doing. Unfortunately, that actually shows that they were really far off base because that's not the point. That's really not the point, but that was what everyone believed the point was at that, at that, in that era, right? They believed this was the point. And so these guys were doing a better job. So they were in a really high positioned power of power, right? They were controlling so much of this. And so if they did something that would irritate the, the, the Pharisees, like, I don't know, except who the Pharisees are saying is a false teacher and they're trying to uh, kill, you know, they get kicked out of the synagogue. As we see right here, for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, the church, for they loved the glory. And this, this is so sad. This, this is heartbreaking, but it's very evident and it's very true. And we see it all the time, even today. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Why? I can make this very plain and very easy for you really quick. You ready? Instant gratification. Instant gratification. The glory we get from man is like that. This is why it says if you do something good, if you you know do something with your right hand, don't let your left hand know. Why? Because you God will reward you. Don't worry about it. You don't need to do all these good acts and all of these things to to impress people. Because if all you're looking to do is impress people, you've already you got all the rewards you're going to get. How people are impressed and and what they think of you, that's all you're ever going to get out of this. Don't do things to impress people. Who are we here to serve? Who are we here to impress? People or God? right? My hope for you is your answer is God, because I know my answer is God. All right. 44 to 50. Wrap this up. We'll get through this really, really quick. We'll push through this here in just a few minutes, guys. 44. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Now, this cried out here, if you go into the Greek, cried out, it literally just means with a loud voice to cry out. Like that's what we would say in our, in English. That's how we would say it. He cried out in a very loud voice. He was impassionate and loud about this. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me and who sees me sees him who sent me. If you believe in God, the father, then you have to believe in me. Who believes in me? You believe in God. You're believing in the Father. If you're not believing in me, you're not believing what the Father said was going to come and what was going to happen. And you're not believing in who 
God, unfortunately. 46 to 50. I have come into the world as light. Again, showing light, this light statement, right? Remember, God and Jesus, good light. Sin, Satan, the ruler of the world, however you want to phrase that, right? Darkness, light, dark. Okay, that's, that's how those are in. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness, may not remain in sin, may not remain in the bondage and slavery to the ruler of the world who is Satan, ensnared by the sin that holds them to him. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. Jesus is being very clear here. It's not I that's doing the judging. I'm not judging them right now. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. By the way, these worlds are also cosmos as well, in case you were wondering. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. If you are hearing this and you're rejecting this, that's your judgment right there, right? That's your judgment. The light is not condemnation. It rather sheds light on or gives knowledge to the wrongdoing. Okay, we see this in Romans chapter 3, verses 20 to 24. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's pretty big, right? That's pretty big. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Meaning I'm just the messenger. Yeah, I'm all God and all man, but I'm just the messenger. I came here to do my part. My part was to show up, fulfill the prophecies, heal love, show what it was, what I was, God was actually looking for, what that relationship actually looks like to let you know, it's not about these rules and regulations and doing everything a hundred percent right. It's about having a relationship, a right relationship with God. And that relationship has been broken. And so I, God came, not me, Drew being God, but Jesus came, came as a sacrifice for you so that we can fix that relationship. I came to show you what that relationship should look like, get beyond the rules and regulations. Yes, they're good, but get back to what they actually were there for. They're there for structure. They weren't there for control. They're guidelines. They don't murder. Murder's bad. All right, that's a fair guideline. Okay, sure. Right? Have that relationship. And now I'm going to go and fix the problem that separated us so that we couldn't have that relationship. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. My words will judge because they know but refuse to accept. It is not from the Son alone, but the Son said what the Father said, what the Father commandment. And the commandment is eternal life. So what can we take away? God can send a booming voice, and there's still going to be a bunch of people who will not believe. God continually sends signs. He sends evidence, and he sends love. He has. He's done it in the past. He continues to do it today in different ways, but he continues to do it today. A lack of belief is not due to a lack of evidence, but rather a lack of desire to accept and believe in that evidence. There will always be those who refuse to believe. It's really sad, but it's very true. Also, Jesus shows that even he wasn't always comfortable with doing what God, the Father, was calling him to do. Not over a lack of faith and trust. Realize that. 
Not being comfortable with the situation God has you in is not always a sign of a lack of faith or trust. If someone's trying to tell you you just don't have enough faith, don't listen to that person. That's not what that means. Jesus wasn't comfortable with it. That's not a lack of faith. Sometimes God wants us to do things that are a little uncomfortable, okay, for our benefit and maybe even for the benefit of those around us because we're God's representatives. We're called to go and do things, right? So it's okay. It's not a lack of faith. It's not a lack of trust. But because the immediate pain, the immediate discomfort, the immediate hardship that it's going to bring, Jesus knew it. It's okay for you to know it. It's okay to feel that. It's okay to voice that. But go on knowing and saying, Father, glorify your name. I'll go through this pain. I'll go through this discomfort. I'll go through this hardship. But Father, glorify your name. Now, Jesus is the light of the world. He fulfilled the law perfectly. And thus, shows us all the more how we should live in relationship with God the Father. Walking in his light doesn't mean the road will always be easy, like we just said, right? It simply means that you will know what part of the road and what side you should be on. Finally, if you believe and trust in God the Father, then you have to believe in Jesus the Son. They are not mutually exclusive. You can't have Jesus and not God, the Father. You can't have the Father and not the Son. You can't just pick and choose. To love the Father is to love the Son. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for everything that you do, everything that you give. Thank you for the word and showing us this. For Jesus going through these things to show us how you want to live our lives to have that right relationship with you and doing what it is that he's about to do in the story. Give himself up for us. Thank you so much. Be with us as we continue on and give us the strength and the courage to face the challenges that are awaiting us. And God, as we go into this, remind us, Father, glorify your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thank you guys so much. Hope you learned. Hope you're enjoying this. Hit that share button. Hit that like. Subscribe. If you're on YouTube, hit the bell next to the subscribe button. And please, if you listen to the podcast, leave a review. It does a lot. It really does. Thank you guys so much. Have a great rest of your weekend. God bless you all. Bye-bye.